0: Welcome to How We Win, the official podcast of The Persistence.
1: Action is the best antidote for anxiety, and we're giving you the tools to make a difference right now.
0: Today, we talk about who's showing up at Brett Kavanaugh's house, and it ain't Tobin or Squee. Plus, (laughs) could Trump be back on Twitter soon? God, I hope not. (laughs)
1: It's been so long since we've heard about Tobin and Sweet. And joining us for our interview is veteran candidate for office and podcast host Ken Harbaugh. He gives us an overview of the absolutely wild primary Ohio just had, and he takes us inside the fight in Ukraine. I'm
0: Steve Pearson.
1: And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is is how how we we win. win.
0: Gotta get into action. I mean, uh, I love throwing away that old political chestnut. This is the most important election of our lives, but uh, hard not to believe that when you see the Republicans literally trying to historically take away our rights. We've got work to do, but I have some good news. I'm going to share my reasons for hope, what I'm excited about. So,
1: Okay, great. I'm We want to hear what you're excited about, and I think this is this is not just the most important election of our life. If you if if you're not motivated on uh, for this one, I'm not sure what it would take to motivate you. I mean,
2: Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Mitch McConnell, the devil himself, has said like he's gunning to get the majority in the Senate, and he's already saying that they could try to you know, make um, banning abortion a federal uh, law. and He, he and won't try, he'll sh- do it. This should this should mobilize us. I, I don't think, I, listen, how many times though have people said, I don't think Roe versus Wade would ever be overturned. And here we are. So every time I'm like, I don't think, but like, that would be too crazy. The, the people, like the majority of people don't agree with that. Um, all bets are off. Let's get to work, people. Now
0: let's be clear: Moscow Mitch McConnell will blow up the filibuster, a hundred percent, to make oh, yeah. uh, uh, to codify into law a federal ban on abortions. And this is what I was going to save for my hope segment, but I'll tease it out a little bit right now because you know, we, we talk about as organizers, Mariah, we know like how, how the enthusiasm is in these groups and these organizations and how volunteer, mm, yeah. you know, like in, in 2018, it was crazy. Like we were beating volunteers out of campaign offices with sticks. No, we weren't. We were welcoming them <laughs> with uh, love and, uh, and clipboards full of houses to go knock. But it's been tough in these last, you know, since, since really the Georgia election, it's been really hard to galvanize people and get them to volunteer for a lot of good reasons. Like people are tired, they're burnt out, they've been working pandemic. hard. The pandemic, all those reasons. But I'm seeing a surge of volunteers now in response oh, to this, um, this impending uh, decision. And, of course, it is led by women – who have been leading the efforts on all of these things since 2018, since way before that? You know, women lead the charge on, on these issues. They lead the charge when it comes to volunteering. And I just wanna say if you are, as I am, a straight white man, and you are not actively doing something to preserve the rights of women and everyone that's uh, being threatened right now, you're part of the problem. Like, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm no longer giving like a, where you know, you've got lots of distractions, you've got busy lives exemption. This is an mm-hmm. all hands on deck moment. And, um, and if you are one of those people who think that these new laws aren't affecting you right now then um, then you are part of the problem. Uh, everyone has a responsibility to get involved, especially those whose uh, rights aren't being overtly taken away right now.
1: Um, the, from your lips to a whole lot of ears, um, this only works if we do it together and we can't only be concerned when Things directly impact us. Um, we we got to see the we got to see the bigger picture and and look out for each other. One thing that people have been doing, and we're going to talk in, in a few minutes about how people can um, find a public demonstration in their community um, in our in our to, on our to do list. But people, of course, have been demonstrating at their you know state and federal office buildings at the Supreme Court. Uh, and at the homes of some of the Supreme Court justices. And there have been reports of particularly large crowds outside of Kavanaugh and Alito's homes in response to, of course, the leaked opinion um, proposing the overturn of Roe versus Wade. Uh Question for you, should... <laughs> I was going to ask
0: you this question, I think, but go ahead.
1: <laughs> and for our listeners. But I want, like, I, I really am interested in hearing people's opinions on this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know if my mind can be changed about it, but, <laughs> I, I, but I'm open to hearing other thoughts. Should protesters demonstrate in front of private homes? Any thoughts?
0: Well, um, I know these Supreme Court justices don't think so, and um, but they also refused to, uh, there was abortion clinics that were putting up barriers uh, to keep the protesters who weren't just protesting, and as you pointed out on last week's pod, have in, in many cases been violent and deadly and um, you know more than just threatening. The Supreme Court said, nope, you can't bar them from being there. It is their First Amendment right to speak their mind and protest. But that same Supreme Court did put up a fence in front of the Supreme Court to keep people from right. uh, doing that. So you can't have it both ways. Uh, I, I'm of two minds about it. Like, absolutely, you know, we have a right to protest. We have a right to make our voices heard. Uh, I don't think, obviously, I don't condone violence, and I don't think people should be threatening Um And I feel a lot of anger, so I understand where that's coming from, but uh, I don't feel like that's productive. I know it's not productive. It's the opposite of that, actually. It, It really hurts our cause. Having said that, I am not in the business of telling someone whose rights are being stripped away from them how you should protest and how you should magnify this issue so that everyone sees it. So we're getting, you know, coverage on the news because of it. We're getting more people woken up, like we said, uh, getting them out on the streets, getting them volunteering, getting them donating money to campaigns, all of this because of these issues. Do I want to say to them, better, better sit down, better be quiet, you know, don't you don't want to be too whatever – That's
1: not a protest.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So you
1: quietly sit or somebody tells you to sit.
0: Could you just be a little more polite? Like, you know, when, when literally, uh, your right to make your own health choices is being taken away from you. Um, just be a little bit more polite about how you, uh, Express your grievance there. No, I'm not going to do that. I don't think anyone else should do that. And we do have a First Amendment right to protest. So, yes, I I am okay with protesting. Uh,
1: listen, yes, yeah, these are public figures. No, no violence, of course, but demonstrate outside of their homes. I, mm-hmm. I don't think that's an issue. Um, I'm sure it's very uncomfortable um, uncomfortable for them, but you know, and inconvenient. And that's the whole point. That's activism. 101 trying to make things uncomfortable and inconvenient for people and the other piece of this is like you said like i remember going to planned parenthood at like 19 or 20 to get a pap smear and birth control and having to walk past screaming grown-ups who were standing behind like a a line painted on the ground and if i at that age can go through that me just trying to live my little quiet private life and and get birth control. Uh, You know, that's the world that we've set, these people have set up. So now it's your turn. I took my turn.
0: Yeah. Alito doesn't have to be a Supreme court judge. He has a lifetime appointment, but he is welcome to step down. You know, you don't, don't like being under the microscope. Don't like having people yelling at you. uh, You know, don't, you know, publish, hateful decisions and try to take people's rights away. I think mean, that's fair.
1: The other piece of the story that I, I wanted to point out is that this is uh, like cracking open such an awful Pandora's box of ideas from Republican legislatures and, and, and leaders. I just want to, since, since all of this came out here, some of the, the stuff we heard about, um, Missouri and Louisiana are considering making IUDs and plan B illegal. So the IUDs are the intrauterine devices that would allow an egg to become fertilized, but prevent it from implanting in the uterus. So you would never have a pregnancy, but they're trying to make these laws that say, you know, life begins at fertilization. So, um, so, so you can't have these types of birth control, uh, a candidate for Senate in Arizona, is calling for condoms to be banned. We've also heard about people suggesting that, um, condoms should only be accessed by married couples. Um, okay. Hmm. Um, another, a, a representative in Idaho says, again, he wants legislation banning plan B, maybe IUDs like this is, this is not only about abortion. This is, this is about controlling people's bodies. Right. Um, and it's, and it's that slippery slope we keep talking about.
0: Yeah, it's, it's about a... Uh, it's about control. It's about a desire to control women that is uh, as long as our recorded history. And uh, make no mistake, if Republicans take control in November, they will try to pass these laws. They will mm-hmm. try to b- ban contraception. And the disgusting, horrible irony is we have one of the worst maternal health rates in the world, in the developed world. Right, And uh, of course, it is even worse for women of color. And uh, in the midst of what is a huge disparity in uh, maternal health and women's health, we're, uh, we now have Republicans who are trying to pass laws to make it even more dangerous, uh, for women. So, uh, we have a lot of work to do. This is, uh, again, there's no options. I, I, I'm looking forward to everyone hearing Ken Harbaugh's interview. He's got a podcast called Burn the Boats, and I'll let him explain in more detail what that means. But basically, it comes from a military, uh, fable where, um, the the Navy burned the boats so that the soldiers had no choice but to fight. There's no surrender. There's no backing down. We have one direction to go in, and that's to fight. And that's what we are doing right now in this moment.
1: We're not doing it, but those boats certainly are on fire. <laughs> <laughs> um, other big news that, that came out today, uh, President Biden announced that Fighting inflation is his top domestic priority and in a speech laid out plans to establish a minimum tax for billionaires and corporations um, and lower costs by uh, discouraging price gouging. And he made the very good point that as costs for items have gone up and we all as, as individuals and families have had to pay more many large companies and corporations are enjoying major and in some cases record profits mm-hmm. and we've talked about this um there have been calls for uh co- you know investigations into companies that you know set records for profits during the pandemic right. when so many people were were out of work and and hungry um He also warned Republicans that what he calls the ultra MAGA plan is going to hurt American families. Um, This is the economic plan that you talked about that Rick Scott proposed um, that doesn't address inflation, raises federal taxes on like 75 million families that. (laughs) don't currently pay taxes, uh, federal taxes, because they can't afford to. Um, and it would put programs like Social Security and Medicare in jeopardy. So, you know, just yet another of the, like, reason 1,567 why we got to vote in November.
0: Yeah, and I'm really glad that Biden is talking about this because this is an issue Republicans are obviously going to run on, even though we just had another great jobs report and um, and, you know, the fundamental – Problems that have driven inflation are the pandemic, uh, the war in Ukraine, these other factors, and and uh, those allegations of price gouging by companies, you know, is pretty hard not to take seriously when you look at the profits that they're making, and, and the opportunities they could have had, to um, to give families relief. So, um, you know, this is what Republicans are going to be talking about: is inflation and gas prices, because. That's what a lot of voters see who aren't really paying attention to a a lot else they see the cost of things around them they see uh what's in their pocketbook and 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 gas prices so um you know Mm -hmm. biden is going on the offensive uh against inflation and and making it his top priority we should all be talking about this and sharing this on twitter to amplifying his message and, and what he's doing because this is stuff that just does not get on the mainstream news they are you know uh it's a lot to cover, but um, but we need to make sure that Biden's message comes across. And uh, and if we don't do it, and if we're not talking to our neighbors about it, then really no one is. So that's on us.
1: Um, and speaking of social media, <laughs> oh god, and using it for <laughs> using it effectively. Um, I got a I got a news alert in the middle of the day today that
0: <laughs> the worst news alert. <laughs>
1: But listen, we need to we need to set better rules for these breaking news alerts. But that Elon Musk said that if and when he buys Twitter, he is going to reverse the Twitter ban on Donald Trump, which we know is going to be a dangerous and highly irritating move for for everyone
0: twitter's hard enough without trump on there and it's been such a relief having him gone and apparently there was also some reporting that trump advised elon musk to buy twitter to encouraged him to buy it um We'll see how that develops. I still have hope that maybe the sale doesn't even go through. From what I've heard, um, he is heavily leveraged in, in a lot of areas. And even though he does have a lot of money, this is not the easiest sale uh, sale for him. It's not like he just has $40 billion in cash that he can hand over. So we'll see. But
1: yeah, if this, if, and if it does happen, then like the fight against misinformation and and disinformation becomes a battle royale. We're just going to have to.
0: Yeah, it already is, but it's going to be that much harder. Yeah. So, so, so far we've established this week that is just getting harder, but we're not going to back down. (laughs) Hell no. (laughs) Never. Never. We don't have a choice. We've got to burn those boats. (laughs) um (laughs) so let's talk about this week's hero of the week
1: my hero of the week is kareen jean pierre what no
0: i i saw that on there and i was like did you put that in there or did I? Because she was totally my hero of the week, too. Did you put that oh, in there?
1: Really? No, I put it in. Yeah. Oh, I love Sometimes it. Sometimes we are like on the same wavelength. Yeah. <laughs> Rarely. <laughs> but it happens. Um, uh, but she is about to become the first Black White House press secretary. First of all, she's just awesome and amazing mm-hmm. and and the fact that she's a black woman um going into this role. She'll be replacing Jen Saki. And they had just a really lovely moment together announcing announcing this. Um uh, I'm just so excited to to I, I love seeing her up there and I'm excited that she's gonna be taking the lead. So she's my hero of the week. I love Sorry it. Job.
0: Uh she I I absolutely love her too, and she's a hero. Uh, Also the first openly gay woman Mm -hmm. to hold that position too. And I just like, this is the face of POTUS. This is the face of the White House. And it's this strong, amazing gay black woman who is representing the people's house. And it is so exciting. Um, If I've been trying since we started this show to get her on the podcast, and now this is like, I mean, since she started working in the White House to kind of that, that <laughs> ship sailed. Um, it was one of the boats that actually got away. Uh, but <laughs> now there's no way. Maybe, maybe someday. But um, she used to work for Move On and, mm-hmm. uh, and she was incredible there. And I, and I wanted her on the show. She's awesome and so smart. And I hope she's listening and takes pity on us and comes on our show.
1: She's probably just been waiting for us to make her the hero of of the week. Is that She's it? Like is that it? Because out, I've tried, for it. <laughs> I've tried reaching
0: out through different channels and and mm-hmm. nothing crickets. So I don't know. You know, I should be petty. So if
1: you but. if you know her, um, so her her partner is um, Suzanne Malvo from from CNN, who a lot of people have probably been watching for years. Uh, Suzanne has been reassigned. So when you hear that bizarro gop talking point uh, she's not covering politics right now so just something to be aware of when what, you know when that comes up talk more about that what
0: do you mean she what what's the what's the bizarro thing she was reassigned from where oh
1: uh, because she was covering politics okay and for and so they, they were saying like oh there's a conflict of people were like oh, there's a conflict of interest there they've been together for well before Right, Kareen worked for the White House, um, so I don't, I don't, I don't know that you're supposed to leave your partner when you get a White House job. <laughs> but yeah, so there were people complaining, oh, CNN is going to get preferential treatment, but Suzanne is not currently um, covering political stories, so not an issue. Okay.
0: I promised at the beginning of the show, we we're going to get you into action. We do it every week, but I, I want everyone to join these actions. So let's talk about this week's to-do list.
1: What should we be doing? Should we be marching in front of people's houses? Taking to the streets? Yes. What are are we up to?
0: All of the above. All right. So this weekend, there is the Bands Off Our Bodies marches happening. They're being sponsored by Move On, Women's March, and Planned Parenthood Action Fund. We will put a link for you to find them in our show notes, or you can just do a a Bands Off Our Bodies search. Uh, it'll come right up if you do that on Google. And um, and we're taking to the streets again, women's march style. Like I said, led by women. I'm going to be at the one uh, at the LA City Hall in, in downtown LA this Saturday. And, uh, you know, again, no, no excuses. Everyone's got to get out in the streets. Everyone's got to make their voices heard. This is our moment. Um, and we've had lots of moments, but we need to keep doing it. We need to keep at it. So get out there. And then, um the other thing, which is the way easiest, lowest, easiest thing you can do, is we are still doing our subscriber push, so let's mm-hmm. talk about that, Mariah.
1: oh well, it's uh, it's Steve's <laughs> birthday month. I just got so excited. Hey, and thanks and for throwing guest, that in there. We're, we're <laughs> <laughs> doubling uh we're trying to double our subscribers, so just encourage you if you are you know enjoying the podcast. Uh, getting something out of it, getting motivated, pass that along, help others get into action as well and, and get inspired um, and text uh, or shoot them a quick link um, to, to the How We Win podcast. We would love to have your friends and family join us.
0: Yes, and we appreciate we got a, a nice bump last week when we announced this and we really appreciate good your work job, on that. Everybody. So good job everybody. Let's keep it up. Let's um let's build this uh, I I keep, I hate keeping going to the military terms sometimes. I don't, but let's keep building this army of volunteers and make sure that everyone has the tools and direction that they need to make an impact.
1: All right. Now that we have our to-do list, we We'll be right back for this interview with Ken Harbaugh and then our reasons for hope.
0: Ken Harbaugh is a former Democratic Party nominee for the U.S. House of Representatives, a Navy pilot, and is a host of the Burn the Boats podcast. His writing on civil military affairs has appeared in The Atlantic, The New York Times, The Bulwark, and the Yale Journal of International Law. And he's been a commentator for National Public Radio and a host for Crooked Media's Reclaiming Patriotism. Ken, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Uh, Steve, it's great to be with you. And Mariah.
1: (laughs) Um, So as we're recording this, there's a lot going on. (laughs) Um, One of those things is the Ohio primary is currently underway, and you yourself ran for Congress in in 2018. Can you talk about what that experience was like and and what you learned from being a candidate?
2: Yeah, well, I just got my I voted sticker, so I did my civic duty this morning. (laughs) The primary is is today, and we're going to know a lot tomorrow, um, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Republican Senate primary has been bananas. Uh, and and that's, that's not my phrase. That's like the official political <laughs> diagnosis <laughs> of the state of the Republican Party in Ohio, because it's really been a race to the bottom. I mean, it has been a nonstop mm. competition among the leading candidates in the Ohio GOP to get the the Trump endorsement, which came very very late, and apparently went to J D Vance, but the following day, I don't know if you saw this, <laughs> President Trump got on the stump and accidentally um, endorsed the other candidate uh, <laughs> in a speech, in an off the cuff remark. Uh, so yeah, it's it's pretty pretty crazy, and it would be laughable if the if the consequences weren't so darn serious. I mean, right. we're, we're talking about a Senate seat that could well hold the balance of power in that institution, being potentially held by a, an, an avowed insurrectionist. That isn't just a matter of policy difference. I can disagree with people about a million things, but when you're right. undermining the very foundation of our democracy, which is belief in elections and respect for their outcomes then you have no place in the political process. Yeah.
1: So bananas sounds like a, a pretty accurate yeah. description.
2: <laughs> a kind
0: description, actually, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, again, as Mariah said, as we said, you ran ran for a congressional seat in Ohio back in 2018. Um, we know that the Republicans, uh, we know what they're against. I mean, they don't really talk about things that they're for, but they they really like banning, and, and, um, banning people's rights. <laughs> We're seeing very... Uh, in, in very difficult terms right now, um, but for Democrats in Ohio, what are the issues that were on the ballot in 2018 and what, what are the issues that are uh, resonating with them right now?
2: I mean, it's a lot of the same fundamental issues and it's striking that we are we're back to foundational issues in our politics, basic uh, rights. And I believe health care is a right. For example, I believe um, reproductive rights are fundamental rights. Um we healthcare was our number one issue in, in the in the 2018 election. And you're right. The Republicans aren't running for anything. They're simply running against. It's it's a party defined by its opposition. Mm. Um, and I, I don't think that is sustainable in the long run. I sure hope not. When I look at my um, my oldest daughter's generation, she's going to be voting next year. I cannot wait until the Republican Party gets to meet them uh, mm. because they will deliver a crushing blow. The question we have to ask ourselves and our responsibility um, is to is to last that long. Like, can we hold out until the, the generation following us can come to the rescue?
1: Yeah, we, we put a lot on these young people's I shoulders. Know. It's not fair. <laughs> it's
2: not fair because we have not done right by them.
1: Mm, yeah. Um, let's talk about your your podcast, Burn the Boats. Tell us about why you what inspired you to start it and, and what do you want listeners to take away from it?
2: Great question. Well, the, the name comes from antiquity, this um possibly apocryphal, but one of these. Too good to fact check stories, right? About <laughs> Alexander the Great landing his army on the shores of of Persia and his army captains. I'm a Navy guy, so mm-hmm. this this resonates with me. The army sure. captain said, "No way, uh, we are badly outnumbered. We need to we need to turn around and go home." So Alexander ordered his ordered his his navy captains to burn their ships to the waterline, which gave his Army only one option, advance or die on the beaches. And the idea behind the podcast is, you know, sometimes there are moments we face where we really only have one option. We either advance, we either make some progress or we perish. Uh, And every couple of weeks, we have the chance to interview extraordinary figures who have faced those decisions in, in their lives. I think we're facing a moment like that right now with oh, the apparent decision coming down from the Supreme Court. Yeah. Mm.
0: I love the premise of your show because what's, yeah. what's the option when your democracy is under attack, but to fight for your democracy and to m- keep moving forward. And um, this impending Scottish decision is, you know, a great example of that. It, it is, uh, you know, terrible, draconian. It's going to um, literally put a number of lives at risk and, um, it's the first time that our, in our country's history that we've taken away a fundamental right from um, our citizens – but what's the option? We're going to keep fighting for those rights. We're going to keep moving forward because that's what we must do. So um, I love the premise. You recently launched a series of special episodes about Putin's war in Ukraine to help us make sense of it all. And uh, I, I really want to highlight that because we're three months into this war and um, – you know, already it's getting pushed to the side. We don't, we're not hearing as much about it as we should. Uh, who did you talk to, first of all, for this series? And, and uh, what did you learn that you think we need to know about what's going on in Ukraine right now?
2: Well, I, I learned a ton and I felt like I could bring some special insight and, and access. I mean, we talk a lot about politics on on Burn the Boats, but my background is, is as a Navy pilot. Um, I've also been a leader in a disaster relief organization that has deployed overseas. Mm. And we got the chance to talk to people who were on the front lines of this disaster in many ways. And I'm glad you phrased it as Putin's war, because that's exactly what it, what it is. Our very first guest, we actually talked to the afternoon before the invasion, a reporter in Ukraine mm. uh, and, and, it's hard to put yourself in that frame of mind three months ago. But if you if you think back and think hard, it seemed inconceivable that what we're seeing today could actually happen. Yeah. And that was the tenor of the conversation we had literally hours before the world ended for so many people in Ukraine. And just this air of, of unrealism and disbelief. Uh, that uh, Olia and I were having about um, what was happening in Ukraine. And obviously events overtook us, but we decided to air that interview anyway, to mark the moment when it seemed like peace was still possible. We know mm-hmm. now that, that Putin had his sights set on Ukraine all along and nothing was going to deter him from that, mm-hmm. um, except perhaps a Um, unambiguous defeat on the battlefield, which it looks like the Ukrainians are now capable of delivering. We also spoke to a member of the Ukrainian Territorial Defense Forces just a couple of days after the invasion began. And what struck me most about my conversation with him was when I asked him what the toughest day of the war was. And I assumed he would talk about the the missiles landing or the bombs falling near his position he was manning a checkpoint as i was talking to him oh my god but instead he said the toughest day um was day three when he drove his family to the border Mm -hmm. and said goodbye and turned around um this is someone who'd never been in the military before the the day before the war he was wearing a suit as a financial analyst working behind a computer screen
0: Hmm.
2: and he, he leaves his family at the border and he turns around and immediately drives to a recruiting station for the territorial defense forces. And people were in lines with whatever weapons they had. Some of them had kitchen knives, Hmm. Um, whatever they could bring to the fight against the invading Russians. And just that, putting myself in his shoes of saying goodbye to my family and turning around and knowing what that meant, that, that struck me. We've also talked to more academically oriented experts. I mean, the the guy in the trenches is the expert, right? But we've talked to, you know, Navy SEALs who've done urban warfare and, and other geopolitical strategists. It's been, been a really illuminating series.
1: Um, that's pretty extraordinary to to talk to people who are in the middle of that, facing that level of I would imagine you know fear and apprehension and 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 just not knowing what what's coming. Uh, but they still took the time to talk to you this this journalist and this um this fighter. Why do you think it was important
2: for them to speak to your audience? Well. I asked one of our guests exactly that question. It was, I didn't realize how, how young she was in, until I asked what she had been doing the day before the invasion. And she said she had been studying for exams. She was a high school student mm-hmm. who um, was in, I'm trying to remember the, the name of the village, but right on the border with Russia. And mm-hmm. she literally had minutes to grab everything and leave. Um, and I, you know, I said, why in the midst of all this, is it important to, to talk to someone like me? And, and she said, because people need to know um, because the, the world needs to know. Um, and because we need your help. And then she, she said something that, you know, that I might get choked up repeating, but she also said, because I want to say, thank you to all those who have stepped up. I mean, I don't mm. think we have done nearly enough, but even then she was in in a frame of mind to express gratitude for what mm. for what has been done for the people of Ukraine. Oh.
0: That's so powerful. Uh, thank you for, for doing that series and, and getting access to those stories and telling those stories because they, they need to be told. And, and we need to keep telling them. Uh, we did have a congressional delegation that just went and met with President Zelensky led by Speaker Pelosi. No Republicans joined them on that. It's notable to mention. Just jaw dropping. But anyway, we need to keep telling these stories. Thank you so much for for doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, Shifting gears a little bit, uh, you know, we we are very much into getting people into action on our show. And um, and one of the ways we do that is by knocking on doors, writing letters, making phone calls, talking to voters. Um, you have a wide swath of experience, political experience, uh, both as a candidate, uh, as a veteran Um November's coming fast. You mentioned the SCOTUS draft decision that, that just came out as so we're talking about this so that we can't you know sort of not factor that into this. But what are your thoughts about the dialogue coming into the midterms, what people uh, – what issues are resonating with voters and, and how we can talk to voters also in light of this Roe v. Wade decision?
2: Well, that anger that you're feeling now, that I'm feeling now, use it. Channel it. Um, and I'm going to channel Sherrod Brown, our our Democratic senator, for a minute here, um, and his rule of five: bring five other people along with you. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to vote. That's part of your basic civic duty. That's you know that's the sticker on my um, on my shirt this morning mm-hmm. uh, from our primary. Yep. But if you want to amplify your vote in the military, we have this phrase called a forcing function. If you want to be a forcing function and actually help. Bend the, the the arc of an election, bring five people. And if you can get one or two of them to take up that that same challenge, you know, it becomes a, a logarithmic scale. That's mm-hmm. That's how we do it. Obviously, get yourself to the polls, but work on five other people who have an issue you know they should care about. And I believe everyone should care about mm-hmm. what is happening to reproductive rights. Bring five other people. And we can win just about anywhere.
1: Um, that is the perfect segue into our final question, because you're giving me so much hope with with that answer. Our final question is, what is giving you hope?
2: What is giving me hope is young people? And I know we touched on this already, but the, the voters or soon-to-be voters of my daughter's generation have no patience. For what is going on on the extreme right, uh, and if we can buy them a little time, and if we can articulate why um, active involvement is so important, um, I think I think mm. they're they're going to save us. Um, I mean, they're already out there marching; they're doing what they can, yeah. right? Um, and once they start voting in numbers, uh, I, I think we can begin to correct some of the the insanity that is. Overtaken our politics,
0: Ken. That's great. Well, I love ending on that note, and of course, uh, you know, we all all love the, the work the young people are doing. They're, the children are, are, in fact, our future. Um, <laughs> everyone, please check out "Burn the Boats." It's a great podcast, and all the episodes. But I, I do especially encourage everyone to listen to the special issue, uh, special episodes on Ukraine. Um, thank you for doing that. And thank you for being here with us today.
2: You got it. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, Mariah. Great Thanks, to be
0: Thanks, Ken.
1: What a, a helpful and hopeful interview. Yes. Thank you so much, Ken. Um, Steve, uh, talk to us about your Reasons for hope. You you teased it a little bit earlier. I'm intrigued.
0: I did. I kind of told you. Uh, I really said it earlier. I, I I'm just really uh, filled with hope by all the people that are stepping up in this moment right now, who um, who really are, you know, internalizing the seriousness of this moment and and using that anger uh, and that energy to do productive work, and that's what we need right now. So um, people are stepping up, they're joining groups, they're knocking on doors, there's primaries Mm -hmm. happening all over the place right now, they're starting to get into primary season, they're volunteering for campaigns, they're donating, um, and, uh, and that's what we've really needed to see Ramp up, and it gives me a lot of encouragement heading into the midterms. I think last week I was talking about the new poll that came out that had uh, Democrats favored by Repu- favored over Republicans by one point, and the generic ballot, which was mm-hmm. a eleven point swing since the last time that poll happened. So that's really encouraging. Now we're seeing volunteers showing up and and taking action. We want everyone to join the party and keep doing it. So um it gives me a lot of hope and of course i'll say it as i said earlier it's led by women it's of course led by women and so uh fellas get your ass out of your chair and uh, go help out the ladies because we have a lot of work to do and we have to do it together
1: strong words i like it
0: <laughs> what about you what's your reason for hope
1: um My reason for hope this week is a person. It is Congress member Rosa DeLauro from Connecticut, who is a badass woman. Mm. Um, She is launching an investigation into why there is currently a formula shortage in Mm. the U.S. and what the government can do about it. If you have not been through the baby aisle in your local store or pharmacy lately, it is shocking what the empty shelves look like with just a you know canister or two of formula and if you have a baby right now this is probably striking a, it's probably making you very nervous this is this formula shortage that the country is experiencing is um this sort of perfect storm of the supply chain issues that so many products have been seeing, uh, pandemic panic buying, which depleted the stock and put the companies that make the formula behind. There was a recall from a major supplier. And then, the, you know, the final thing that Congressmember Delora has mentioned that she's going to investigate is the fact that if you get government assistance for buying formula, it limits the brands that you can buy Hmm. Um, and so you the the store might be completely sold out of the type of formula that you're allowed to buy and there could be another can of a different kind on the shelf you may not have the money for it and you have to walk away from that and i can't you know as a, a mother or a human being imagine that so um many people are saying you know if the government is for anything surely it has to be for making sure that infants have the nutrition that they need. Um, And so it's at a critically dangerous point where they need to step in now and make sure more formula gets produced and distributed. Um, We are potentially entering a phase in our country's history where we're going to force thousands of women to bring children into this world that they may not want or be prepared to have. And that means that we now have to step it up and do everything that we can to make sure all of these children are taken care of. It's what every child in this country deserves anyway, but if we're going to (laughs) meddle, let's meddle all the way, you know? (laughs) Right. Um, So um, I would say keep an eye out on this story. It's, um, it's an important one, even again, if it doesn't really affect you at, at this point in time.
0: It's really scary. Um, I'm, I'm glad Congress member DeLauro is, uh, is leading the charge there. Uh, we, uh, I mean, Lucy wouldn't have been able to survive if it wasn't for formula. Um, that's right. and, uh, and that's the case for so many. And, uh, I just want to remind you that this is the reason for hope segment and you've made me really worried. Uh, so I don't know. It's a good story. It's important that we talked about it, but uh, I guess Congress member Delora was the hopeful part of this really bleak scenario that you just <laughs> laid out for us.
1: It is bleak, but I mean, again, like this is what we're fighting for though. Yeah, this I is know. why we are electing people like her. So
0: I'm just whistling in the graveyard. I'm just trying to make <laughs> jokes in, in a dark time. So, uh, but Anyway. Thanks for bringing that up and letting us know about it. It's really, really important. And thank you all for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved. And the dudes, too. Come on.
1: We want to hear from you. Uh, send us an email at hello at howwewinpod.com. Or you can tweet to us at bluesboysteve Steve and at Mariah underscore Craven.
0: Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple wherever you get your pods. And remember, we are doubling our subscribers with your help. That means you can just text the pod to people that you think need to listen to it. Um, share us with your friends. Help us build this community of informed and active volunteers.
1: We really appreciate you being here with us and we'll be back with more next Wednesday.